two things kind of came up for me, and we're going to go over both of them, but um, yeah, so uh, we are going to start with the, the passage this morning, which is Matthew 13, um, verses 24 through 30. It is a parable that you, you may be familiar with. Um, I'm going to read it from the um, New Revised Standard updated edition, um, but you can follow along in whatever edition you'd like. Verse 24, he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, do you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Um, a few weeks ago when we were introducing these themes for the summer and we're in a discussion with each other about the way the themes were landing with us, I realized in that discussion that weeding was going to be one of the themes that was a little bit challenging for me. Because it's one, um, I, despite knowing that it's one I struggle with already, it kind of like struck me that morning. Um, and just as a reminder, we have loosely described weeding as letting go of what is no longer useful or helpful, letting dead leaves fall, rotten fruit drop to the ground to use as fertilizer in its new life. And I know for me that I hold on to things, good and bad, things that feed me and things that definitely do not. And sometimes I know that something is a weed and should be let go, but I don't know how to and I also know that this is not an unfamiliar psychological phenomenon. It is common for highly sensitive people, anxious people like myself, to cling to what is known, even if that known thing causes them harm in some way. These might be weeds, but at least I know what they look like and what they are. And if we get rid of them, I don't know what's going to take their place. <laughs> and that is terrifying. And because I sit in a therapy office for 40 hours a week, I know that I'm not alone <laughs> in this experience. <laughs> this week, for example, I just like was like, is this the week of boundaries or boundaries on my mind because of this passage that I'm preparing at the same time? But it felt like all I was doing this week was helping patients identify their own weeds that they need to pull. I even spent most of my therapy session <laughs> this week crying about a patient that I have that is been in an abusive relationship for a really long time, and they know it's a weed that they need to, to pull. They have all the resources and tools and support and people around them. And every week, I hope that they will come to the session and say, I did it. We pulled that weed. And every week, they don't. <laughs> and it's excruciating to witness. And yet, I will be there the day that they say that they're ready. <laughs> Um, and just hope that it comes sooner rather than later. Many of us are doing the hard and healing work of identifying weeds in our lives and developing the courage to pull them out 
And if this is you, keep going. It's going to be worth it, I promise. The other thing that this passage made me think of was weeding from another perspective. Verse 25 stuck out to me, um, the one that says, but while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. It made me think of weeds that sleep along with the flowers and fruits and then slowly kill the garden and keep it from flourishing. And the text looks at these weeds from the moment they're introduced into the garden from a silent and unknown enemy. And I think probably because Juneteenth is tomorrow and we're in the middle of Pride Month, my mind went to weeds like racism and homophobia and transphobia and probably any other ism that you can think of that falls into that category. And while we have a pretty easy-to-follow history of sowing who sowed these types of weeds, their continued presence and the way they're fed is what feels like some kind of sleeper enemy. And what I really thought of was the ways that these weeds feel like they support the garden in some way in this passage, which felt like a little sticky. In our text, the weeds couldn't be cut out as a risk to the wheat, but had to be harvested later and destroyed. And it made me think of the ways that white supremacy has served me and many of us, perhaps without our knowledge. And while it feels so hard to give space to believe that sometimes, it is also simply the truth. And yet, when it comes time to harvest, we have to find these weeds at their root and destroy them. Because we know the garden will flourish most when there are no weeds present. If they never existed in the first place, that's best case scenario. But right now, our responsibility as garden keepers is to work towards a space where the weeds are absent later. As we plan for harvest, we are invited to look at what needs to burn. And I thought of that one of those group activities we did with Alyssa several weeks ago, also who is home and healing from their top surgery, and is like, I saw them this week, and they are just like the brightest shining person, like so healthy, so well, wow. Um, but in, in the group share, Loris Mide um, shared one of her thoughts, and, and she had mentions of feeling about letting it all burn. Like, she, like, her frustration with the church and the institution, and I, like, just remember, like, then you get invited to, like, respond, you know, and I was like, let it all burn. Like, that just felt like, like, it, it, it caught me so, like, by surprise to have this, like, inspiringly kind and gentle person <laughs> say a phrase like that, and I felt also so affirmed um, in my own often frightening desire to destroy <laughs> what violates goodness. And while so often we may be tempted to just scrap everything and start from the ashes, perhaps this passage is telling us we don't have to. It may take a little more effort to find the weeds and tend our garden than just to set it aflame. But what if our parable is inviting us to see the good that is there, that has been able to thrive, and reminding us that we can still flourish if we put in that work now? All of this, this is where it feels kind of weird and practical. All of this made me think of the stages of racial identity development model. <laughs> um, this model exists for white identities and identities of color. When I was trained originally on it, like 15 years ago, it was just um, white identities and black identities, and then they added like a non-black identities of color model. Um, it is not created by Dr. Beverly Tatum but she like molded it for her book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? Um, and it is kind of like blossomed and, and 
and done a lot of stuff since then. Um, like lots of other social psychologists have, have done a lot of work with it. And obviously as a white bodied person, um, I have the most experience with the white identity model. Um, and I think if we, for the sake of metaphor, <laughs> consider racism as a weed planted in the night by the enemy, well before we in this room came to tend this garden, we could look at this model as a guide that follows the arc of our parable. And so today, I'm kind of going to walk through those stages as they follow that illustration because it felt like almost weird how aligned it felt like as I was reading it. So in stage one of the model, which is called pre-contact, we see folks ignoring the presence of systemic racism, white folks, um, and white supremacy. In this stage, one might say they are colorblind. They see all people the same. This is an attempt to meet people with care, I think, but it misses the mark. In this stage, we might also hear people say, we all struggle, but if you do the work, you can accomplish anything. Think bootstrap culture. As garden tenders, we just look at the dug up earth and say, look at that beautiful dirt that will soon be home to so many plants. No problems here. The garden is good because I will work to make it, make it so. In the second stage, which is called disintegration, a person learns more about the devious nature of the weeds. This weed, white supremacy. They may have an experience where they realize their whiteness was important to name. These moments look, might look like a white person talking casually about a traffic stop and realizing after that their black siblings wouldn't have the luxury of feeling so cavalier about the same experience, or hearing a story about blatant bigotry that a BIPOC ex person experiences when they want to believe that we live in a, a society where people don't experience those types of things. At this stage, we often experience a certain amount of cognitive dissonance where we've believed something about the world and find out that it's untrue. It's also the stage where um, something we have labeled as white guilt takes place. We might think, it's not my fault I was born white, or others have endured so much and I haven't experienced that and it's not fair and I feel really bad about that, that there's nothing I can do about it. This stage does not feel good. <laughs> we look at our garden and realize weeds have been planted that we didn't plant and we didn't know they were there and they're tangling up and killing our beautiful plants. We still see a lot of possibility in our garden, but now we have this nagging worry about whether the plants will live. But we can't dig up the whole garden. We've worked really hard. The rest of the plants don't need to die. And at the same time, we know they're not gonna do as well because of the presence of weeds. In short, this stage sucks. Like nothing feels good about this stage. In the next stage, well, the next two stages, stages three, which is reintegration, and four, pseudo-independent, get a little murky because some people kind of skip one and go to the other and, or get tangled up like in this tornado of these two stages. There are reactions to the discomfort that you feel in stage two. In either stage, the weeds will likely not get pulled up. A stage three reaction may be that the gardening is just too hard. I've abandoned the garden completely. <laughs> if I have to do all that work, no thank you. The weeds aren't my fault, and so I'm not gonna do anything about them. The other plants just might be strong enough or good enough to survive and thrive, and that's because they were meant to. They're just better plants. A stage four reaction might be, but the weeds have some pretty flowers on them, and they seem like the other plants 
um, are going alongside of them. So like, why do I have to get rid of them? Are they really that bad? These are the, um, I can't be racist, I have black friends weeds. Um, and they stay present, okay? In stage five, we see the garden tenders realizing that it doesn't matter that they didn't sow the weeds, <laughs> but they can't have a three and four stage reaction. It's their responsibility to get rid of them. In stage five, we no longer feel guilty about our own whiteness. We see ourselves clearly for who we are, our race along with our other identity markers, different parts of intersectionality, our intersectionality. We also know that we need to learn how to dismantle racism. We're willing to do the hard work of weeding. We know we might lose friends for speaking up about racism in our circles. Maybe we get labeled as the non-cool party person now because we take microaggressions too seriously. We also get up to this point where we might think we've conquered racism. <laughs> we call ourselves allies here. But we are, because we are digging up weeds. It's harvest season, we're pulling up the weeds, but we're also not really doing anything to prevent them from coming back. Maybe we're just throwing them to the side. Maybe we gave ourselves the title of ally because we're like, we're doing really hard work, but it's, it's a little performative, okay? And then in the last stage, autonomy, we see full commitment to anti-racism and anti-white supremacy work. And I think this is the burning stage of the metaphor. We don't just pull the weeds, we make sure they will not find a home here again. We consistently work to make the world around us one that is free from oppression. We don't let, go, let things go. We're active members of movements towards freedom. We recognize that allyship isn't enough. We need to be accomplices. And that doesn't mean like we spend, we do our 40 hour week job and then we, we join some sort of like organizing group that does the rest of the time. It means like what we're doing during our day is anti-racist. We recognize that we're able to do that at all times. Now, just like every stage model of development, these are not always perfectly linear. There will be moments where we bounce back and forth to previous stages. The hope, like I often explain to my patients when I'm explaining the stages of grief, is that eventually we find it easier to move through and in the stages each time. Then when something happens that puts us back in one stage, we don't stay there long. We're able to move into another stage because we recognize where we are. And this model has been used and applied in other identities over time. You may even see it relabeled um, from white identity development into major identity development in some places. That might feel overwhelming because it means that there's a lot more for us to process. <laughs> it's like, great, I have to do the white one and now I have to do the woman one and I have to do this one. Like, there's so many. It means that our work is never done. <laughs> But it also means that we're always, we always have this opportunity to do good work, work that is life-giving to us and those we share the world with. And as I've shared my challenging challenges with gardening over the spring and laughed at my failures, um, I recognized ways that I could have landed somewhere in the middle of that stage and been like, I'm not doing it <laughs> because I'm not good at it. Um, and yet I planted some plants this year. <laughs> And they're growing, not well, but they are growing. Joel's happy because he gave those plants to me, and part of me is doing everything I can to keep them alive so I don't disappoint Joel. 
but like my little garden, our larger garden <laughs> is work that we cannot abandon because it is in service to the wellness of the earth, our families, perhaps our larger communities. It is kingdom building work. As I mentioned before, tomorrow is Juneteenth and we're currently in Pride Month. And so if you want extra opportunities to engage in this kingdom building work, they're abundant <laughs> at this time of year. Next week, even as a church community, we're going to do a walk and talk with Samson in Irvington. And this put me back in the, the first thing that I thought of when I read this passage, like the personal um, weed. I have laughed about this fear that I have that, about this particular walk and talk because we're going to Irvington, which is my neighborhood. I live in Irvington, and I love living in Irvington. It's so weird, and it's just, like, it's so great. And I'm aware of some of the weeds that are there and that thrive there. And so there was a part of me, and is a part of me, that is, like, jumping back into this, like, white guilt of, like, but it's Irvington, and it's cool, and it's done a lot of growth, and look at all that other stuff that we're doing. And next week will feel like a challenge for me to move elsewhere and see how I can make my neighborhood a garden <laughs> that will flourish. To banish my own shame so that it doesn't affect the people around me. And I'm grateful for the text's reminder this week that there are fruits present in my neighborhood already and also just being an invitation to pull and destroy some weeds at the time. Maybe it'll feed that like little fire inside of me that wants to hurt something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I think because I'm going to be with all of you that it'll be easier for me to do it. And so I'm, I am looking forward to it. I think that this passage this week is an invitation, a reminder of what we're capable of and an invitation of what we can do now. A challenge to not get comfortable where we are and to say it's okay if you are frustrated, um, but giving us an idea of what to do when we feel that way, like the gardener. <sighs> so this week, look at our gardens, identify the weeds, get pissed about them, <laughs> and then figure out what we can do about them, okay? Amen. <laughs>